Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Trenaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. Today, I'm going to explain how the U.S. economy seems to be holding up based upon not only government reporting, which I've covered in prior podcasts, but a new and significant factor which very few people cover. You really have to do a fair amount of research to get behind it, and that is the impact of the CARES Act on essentially all the official economic releases. It's really important, this being a Business Insights podcast, this is one of the key insights of how the economy seems to be holding up and what's driving the props that seem to be holding up the economy. But first, I want to ask you a question. Do you believe the government reports when they claim inflation is back under 4%? If you're not sure of your answer, here are some key price changes that have taken place in the past 12 months. Gasoline is up 44%. Airline tickets are up 33%. Used cars up 23%. Hotels up 23%. Clothing up 22%. Bacon up 18%. Oranges up 17%. Tires for cars and trucks up 16%. Furniture up 15%. Milk up 15%. Coffee up 14%. Delivery costs up 14%. Bread up 14%. Baby food up 13%. Soup up 13%. Cereal up 12%. I could go on, but I wanted to catch the major highlights. So you should ask yourself, how much do you believe that inflation is back under 4%? And as we've indicated in prior podcasts, the cost of living, the cost of constant market baskets of goods and services are generally twice what the inflation rate is that's officially reported. So if 8% or 9% sounds more realistic for your household, I would certainly go with that instead of what's being reported. And in addition to these price increases, there are some other Significant impacts that are working their way through the system, but as we mentioned on leads and lags, they take a while. For example, the impact of higher interest rates on adjustable rate mortgages. Many people opted for adjustable rate mortgages when interest rates were down close to zero over the past 10, 15 years, and particularly in the past three or four years. These rates are adjusted on an annual basis, typically. That has yet to work through the economic data. Additionally, higher residential rentals are working through the data sets over this year. Rental increases that took place a year or two ago are working through the data now. So I want to point out again what we have addressed in prior podcasts. Inflation is certainly not under control and is certainly not anywhere near 2% or going close to 2%. Now let's move on to something really important that very few people in the media cover. Again, you can use Google. You can verify everything I'm going to talk about, but I suspect all this is pretty new for you. And I'm doing this because over the past month or so, I've been asked questions that have related to the many official data points that point to a stable economic picture or somewhat recessionary. And these data points seem to conflict with economic data showing the economy is actually heading in a negative direction. So something has been propping up the official data, and I want to mention to you what I think it is. We've pointed out 
that stagflation underlines our economic situation with biases in jobs data and cost of living indices that in reality camouflage many issues, some of which I just mentioned. Today we're going to go beyond what we covered previously by bringing to you one of the most significant influences that again almost no one talks about. And that is the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, the CARES Act. The title will probably be familiar. I'm not sure how many people remember actually what CARES stands for, but it's Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act. That act authorized direct payments to individuals, generous monthly rebates to families with children, and extended unemployment benefits for laid-off workers, and it was signed on March 27th of 2020. Some of the key takeaways to remind you of that piece of legislation, the CARES Act authorized direct payments of $1,200 per adult plus $500 per child for individuals making up to $75,000 a year and heads of household making up to $112,500 a year and couples jointly making up to $150,000 a year. So this covered a pretty large part of the population. It was also the first program of the COVID-19 era to place a moratorium on mortgage foreclosure and tenant evictions. As you know, those moratoriums are pretty much gone at this point, although some localities around the country are trying to continue them. The act also extended unemployment assistance and subsidized payroll for affected small businesses. And this is really important point, impacting the overall economic numbers across the country since late March of 2020. And we're going to go into that in a little bit of detail. And finally, it injected billions of dollars into the airlines to keep them flying through the pandemic. The CARES Act totaled approximately $2.3 trillion in funding. In other words, the funding was almost equal to normal years of all of the taxes collected on individuals and corporate taxes across the United States. This was a very large commitment by any standard. It also added $2.3 trillion or so to the national debt, since the government has been operating in a negative position. And it also accounted for 10% or more of the gross national product. So this was a really large commitment that very few people really talk about or really understand. Who received the $2.3 trillion in spending? Households only received 27% of it. Small businesses, 26%. Large businesses, 23%. And the balance went to states and municipalities, the airline industry, as I mentioned, and health providers. The minute the CARES Act was signed into law on March 27, 2020, the biggest tax party in U.S. history kicked off, and this party hasn't ended. A company that is well known for private economic research, Quill Intelligence, has studied the data and issued private reports to their clients. These reports have been filtered through to congressional members and politicians now for approximately the four, past four or five months. And the impact of this research report has been pretty far-reaching and actually has reached the IRS and Congress, and I suspect has impacted their own applications of the CARES Act. So if we sort of cut to it, the CARES Act has generated what appears to be a massive slush fund, if I can be really direct. And the CARES Act has been pumping over $200 billion a year into the hands of U.S. consumers and small businesses. This is $200 billion of new money, 
which again is borrowed by the government, which again has been in the past subsidized by the Federal Reserve. That's a different topic. We're not going to go there today. But $200 billion a year, recently that amount of money has been going up substantially on a monthly basis. The amount of money distributed under the CARES Act, and this is almost entirely to businesses, small business owners, importantly. So the 25 to $40 billion every month now in recent months, has been going into the hands, importantly, of small business owners and large corporations. I'll bet almost all of our listeners didn't know that. Again, this is all easily verifiable. This is one of the most important reasons that the economy has not officially slipped into a measured recession. The pandemic relief checks, the stimulus checks, were still being directly deposited and are still being directly deposited by small business, particularly. And over the past year and a half or so, inflation has been importantly impacted by these fresh cash infusions. The media just has not been reporting on it. In fact, any mention of the employee retention credit, which is part of this act, is usually answered with the employee what? In the beginning, the recipient companies were just a little greedy. But the current administration's expansion of the program to include companies actually formed after the pandemic was too attractive of a prospect to resist. So greed ramped up. Dollars flashed before the eyes of those who have always been inclined to be grifters, and it began in earnest. And even with TV ads on the Super Bowl Sunday, where companies were advertising that they could help businesses get the employee retention credit. If you watch TV very much, I don't very much, but I've seen it. If you listen to any of the radio stations, you must have heard these ads that are advertising that companies are helping small businesses get the employee retention credit that they so much deserve. Anyway, before too long, the ad dollar floodgates have been thrown wide open, especially for the financial media. The Wall Street Journal actually, in recent months, has published articles on the IRS shutting the door on new pandemic tax credit claims. And in the past two weeks, this has really ramped up quite a bit. And I'm going to get to this. But as of a week or so ago, Bloomberg has still not published its own story on the fraud, deception, and the grift that's occurring in this program, which is, a, as I mentioned, a very substantial program in terms of cash being put into the hands of the public. So far be it for us to say, but there were likely some behind-closed-doors chats underway as Bloomberg TV and radio ran ERC ads from these consultants to help businesses get the money that they deserve pretty much on a nonstop basis. There was hardly a morning that went by that Tom Keene wasn't lauding a company called Innovation Taxes, which is one of the two largest so-called consulting companies for this program, private companies. Why is it that almost nothing was reported on a program that pumped hundreds of billions of dollars into the economy in cash in the past year and a half, two years? And this is even after CNBC and the New York Times reported on this issue in a major story many months ago. In the past six months, three media outlets actually interviewed Quill Intelligence, the private research firm, extensively on the ERC. And according to Quill Research, only Yahoo Finance reported the findings. So at this point, it might be neither here nor there, but this research did get into the hands of Congress. And finally, a light bulb went off and a number of people, including the IRS, 
begin to address the issue. And for what it's worth, the past month or so, it has been noted publicly that business income taxes paid were only about half of what the normal collections were back in July. And that's because a lot of payments were made back in the other direction from the IRS to the businesses. So it's very easy to see that corporate tax collections on a net basis are down substantially, and they're down substantially because, importantly, of the CARES Act ERC provision, where tens of billions, actually hundreds of billions of dollars, have been paid in cash from the IRS to small and large businesses. So we hear Powell talk about super core inflation coming down. We see the issues of real inflation in goods and services that people really buy. But the massive offset, which has been fighting against reducing inflation, has been the ERC. Broadening out, we're certain that without the $413 billion in business income tax refunds pumped in the economy since May of 2021, Inflation-adjusted retail sales would have fallen officially by now. Since peaking at $285 billion, the third stimulus check was directly deposited into household bank accounts. That's April of 2021. Real retail sales have averaged $269 billion a month, exactly where they came in last month, flat as a pancake for 27 straight months. If the ERC payments had not been made, you can imagine what the U.S. consumption reporting would have been since the ERC was enacted. Now, without the ERC prop, with student loans restarting, a threatened government shutdown, at least avoided for now, but the UAW striking, credit standards tightening, the bankruptcy cycle in full gear, with business bankruptcies going straight up in terms of numbers now, past several months, the global economy no argument, it's in recession. And Powell is on a war path to basically get rid of the assumption that the Fed is going to reduce interest rates because of economic issues. Is it any wonder that we are actually seeing physical trade and physical volumes declining, which happens during recessions, for example, in the ports, Port of Los Angeles, the Port of Long Beach? Volumes of trade going in and out of these ports are collapsing to levels not seen since the great financial crisis back in 2008-2009. And should we not be surprised that initial jobless claims have fanned out across the country and initial jobless claim increases now encompass 78% of the states in which 91% of the population resides? So overall, I'll bring you up to speed with how important this issue is from the IRS perspective. The IRS on September 14th, IRS 2023-169 declared a moratorium on processing new claims through year-end, allowing the IRS to add more safeguards to prevent future abuse and protect businesses from predatory advertising tactics. The IRS is working with the Justice Department to pursue fraud fueled by aggressive marketing. Amid rising concern about a flood of improper employee retention credit claims, the IRS September 14th, announced an immediate moratorium through at least the end of the year on processing new claims for the pandemic-era relief program to protect the honest small business owners from scams. IRS Commissioner Danny Werfel ordered the immediate moratorium beginning then, September 14th, to run through at least December 31st, following growing concerns inside the IRS from tax professionals as well as media reports that a substantial share of new claims from the aging program are ineligible and increasingly putting businesses 
at financial risk by being pressured and scammed by aggressive promoters and marketing. Of course, it's not just aggressive promoters and marketing. I'm quite sure in my own mind, there are major parts of the scam where businesses and people who report to own businesses are quite intentionally scamming the government for these cash payments. The IRS announced that hundreds of criminal cases are being worked and thousands of ERC claims have been referred for audit. And just to give you an idea, because uh, I don't want you to think that I'm just reporting on a small exceptional item, filers of more than 600,000 claims awaiting processing are going to be given the option to pull back their claims and those who have been receiving or are about to receive money, it will be assumed that they have willfully filed fraudulent claims or conspired to do so. So everyone now is on notice as of about two weeks ago. But the withdrawing of a fraudulent claim will not exempt these businesses from potential criminal investigation and prosecution. So essentially, this trend that has put $400 billion plus. I'm not saying it's all fraudulent. It's certainly not all fraudulent. But as you realize with the quotations I've given you, the data I've given you, this has risen to become a national priority to stop the fraud in this program, which has generated enough cash to basically keep the government reported indices looking somewhat healthy. So this source of cash is cut off in terms of new claims, 600,000 awaiting processing from now until the end of the year. And the Justice Department and the IRS will be moving into a prosecution mode. Again, the horse is out of the barn, as they say. But this source of cash moving into the economy is likely largely going to go away, in my opinion. So here are some final thoughts on the economy based, again, upon data that's underreported, if reported at all. Federal tax refunds, if anyone had the interest of Google that, have actually made up so much of the corporate tax liability that corporate tax collections are running about half of what they should be running because of everything I just mentioned. The federal tax refunds that I just mentioned are likely going to go close to zero between now and the end of the year. So this is going to change. Real retail sales, which I mentioned before, if even official inflation is taken out, have not increased since early 2021. The shipments, as I just mentioned, I'll give you some specific data. Inbound containers to the port of Los Angeles are now running at 30% under year to year. They're down 30%. And this is pretty much a new low in terms of change. It's reached a lower low than the 07-08 Great Recession. That's the inbound containers bringing imports in the United States. But the outbound containers are also down 20% plus. And the decline has been over the past year or two. So both of these trends are getting to be long-term trends where Imports and exports through the major ports of the United States, I think it's approximately 40% of U.S. imports and exports running via ship through the ports of Long Beach and Port of L.A. combined, down dramatically. As a final thought in the data, we are retesting the peaks of the numbers of states that are experiencing increasing initial unemployment claims. I hope 
that today has given you some insights about why the data doesn't seem to be supporting a recession or a severe recession due to the ERC, and that going forward, a lot of the supports or the props for the data are going away, particularly as rent payments, mortgage payments, real inflation works through the system, energy prices up over 30% the past three months or so, still going up. $7 gasoline is here in Southern California. Some of the prices are above $7.59 in the premium. So we are at $7 gasoline, not waiting until the end of the year. So I will revise my anticipation and indicate that I think we are gonna be looking at $8 gasoline by the end of the year. With that, be careful, be conservative, try to stay out of debt, repay debt, become as cash flow sufficient as you can. And for all the reasons mentioned in this podcast and prior podcasts, be wary of new significant investments in the stock market for now. Again, we will talk about potential opportunities that will likely come up in the next year or two, but this is going to be gradual since there's no hurry right now. Take care. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.